Welcome back to another episode of the Leadership Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Leadership and Engagement. I'm Joseph Perez, Coordinator of Leadership and Development, and I hope all of you are doing well. It's gonna be May, end of the semester. I hope everyone's doing well and getting ready for the festivities ahead. Today's episode is going to focus on a very special guest of ours that has decided to come onto the show. You may know her as our Vice President of Student Development and Campus Life. Her name is Dr. Don Mezzasuflaris. She's coming onto the show and we're going to talk about a bunch of different things regarding leadership, grit, resilience, and more. Stay tuned for that and a couple of other surprise after the record scratch. Stay tuned. Awesome. Uh, hi, Dr. S. Hi, Joe. <laughs> is, hi, Ariana. <laughs> it's, nice, it's nice to finally meet you. Um, I know you've been probably running around since the beginning of this month when you started, and I'm sure it's been a hectic, wild, wild ride just introducing yourself to everybody in the university, getting to know them because you just arrived from LaSalle. So, you know, welcome. I want to, on behalf of my department, Center for Leadership and Engagement, I want to welcome you, you to the university and to to the podcast. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. This is great. And it has been a wild ride for the past. I'm in my, I started my fourth week and uh, I described it to somebody earlier today as it was like jumping on a treadmill going 90 miles an hour with roller skates. <laughs> so it's I, been, it's been a, is a wild couple of weeks, but in a very positive way, very positive. Nice. I, I'm glad, I'm glad we were also welcoming to you and that you feel welcome. I because mean, I, we were introduced to you via our university communications and this was back at the end of january beginning of february right and we were introduced to you as someone who identifies as a first generation college graduate and someone who identifies as being of hispanic descent so how have these two identities impacted your college and career path over the years Sure. Oh, that's a great question. I appreciate you asking it. So I'll start with, you mentioned first gen. So I'll start that. I am first in family to go to college. Um, My father um, was actually um, dropped out of high school at 16. Um, He had a a pretty tough upbringing. Um, He he thought that going in the Marines at 16 was going to be the right thing. And so he forged something that said he was 17 and he tried to join the Marines. They figured out he was only 16. They brought him back home with the promise that as soon as he was 17, he could join. So he decided to join at 17. Um, He finished his uh, GED when uh, he got out of the Marines and then had a really great career as a Long Island Railroad conductor and spent 40, almost 47, 48 years with the Long Island Railroad. My mom um, was, uh, she's passed away now, but she was a hairdresser. So I came from, she did not go to college. Uh, in her time, uh, her father and mother, they were love, my grandparents were lovely. They did not understand why a woman had to go to college to find a husband. And um, so she had actually gotten into St. John's and really wanted to go. And um, her parents decided that she'd better off learning a trade. Mm. And so their, their focus was for me to go to college because neither of them had had that opportunity. And so um, and not only was I first to graduate uh, in my media family with an undergraduate degree, but um, the only one in my extended family that has a, a graduate and uh, doctorate. So I'm really, really proud of that. 
Uh, as I mentioned, my dad, my dad is um, of Mexican descent. His mom came over from uh, Mexico when she was quite young and married my grandfather, um, whose family was also had been from Mexico and they were in Texas. And then at some point moved to New York and lived, my father grew up in the Bronx at a time when, and, and his mom ended up being a single mom. Um, and it was at a time where if you spoke a different language or you had an accent or you were different, that was not what people wanted. And so he talked, he's talked many times about feeling a sense of not being welcome. Um, he, he recalls a time when um, people in the apartment building where he and his two sisters and my grandmother lived, they signed a petition. They didn't want any non-English non speaking people in the building. And uh, my grandmother fought that. She was tough. Sofia Mesas was a tough lady, uh, was a seamstress, uh, you know, worked in a, in a sewing factory and she wasn't gonna have any of that. And so um, my father instilled in me quite the, the fighting spirit that just because somebody tells you you can't do something, that generally means you can and you should. <laughs> that happen. So I'm very blessed. I'm very blessed with two parents who worked extraordinarily hard, sometimes taking this expression, taking from Peter to give to Paul, meaning they didn't have a lot of money. My mom stayed home to take care of me for as much as she could uh, while my dad worked very long hours, but they wanted only the best for me. And so I really am very thankful that they worked as hard as they did to allow me to go to college. It's beautiful. I mean, my parents, uh, I have two siblings and my parents used to work long hours as well. And at one point, like I was the one babysitting my brother and my sister. I would take them to school. I would pick them up from school and I would pretty much just look after them. I had my godmother down the hall because we lived in, a, in an apartment complex. Oh. And, you know, it, it's it's difficult sometimes because you know, uh, your, par your parents are out working. They're here trying to provide for you because my, my parents came from Puerto Rico and from Ecuador. So I can I I completely understand that I I I've lived it. I'm yep. pretty sure a lot of first gen students and Hispanic students have lived that as well. Their parents come over from a different country, and they're working long hours. They're taking a bunch of different jobs just to support the children, just to make sure they have that opportunity. And I'm I'm just as thankful for my parents as you are for yours because without them, I wouldn't have learned anything. I wouldn't have learned how to hustle, how to get ahead in life, how to get. To, to, to the best place that I can possibly go to because I went to St. Peter's in Jersey City and mm -hmm. when I went to college I wanted to stay, to stay close I didn't want to go too far because I still wanted to be there for my parents and you know when I was an undergrad I didn't really think about being a first gen too much like yeah I was in the I was in college because I was the first person in my family to go to college and similar to you I'm the first one in my family with two degrees a bachelor's and a graduate degree awesome so it it that identity like before I didn't really notice that but when I went to graduate school and when I started learning more about my field and my major that's when I knew like think first generation like we we're unique in a sense right mm -hmm. and absolutely and nobody talked about that when I was a kid so I I ended up going to my parents lived on Long Island and um, I ended up going to Binghamton University State School in New York um, because I really wanted to go to Cornell and I had gotten into Cornell and I was really proud of that my parents couldn't afford to send me even with financial aid 
my parents said, we just can't do it. Um, and so my father said, if you go to Binghamton, which I had applied and gotten into reluctantly, I was like, I don't really want to go there. My father was like, you need to apply. So I applied to a bunch of the SUNY schools. And he said, Binghamton's not far from Cornell. So if you go to Binghamton two years, then you could transfer into Cornell and then you can go. So I went four and a half hours away, which was very hard for my family because they were not used to that. That was very far away for my extended family. And uh, you know what happened? So I went to Binghamton and I absolutely loved it. Like I loved it. I, and everyone around me for the most part there were some that were not, but everyone around me was mostly first in family. You know, it was most of the, or maybe they had one parent that went to college and maybe another parent that hadn't, but nobody talked about the first gen thing. It just, you just didn't talk about that. Um, but, you know, it's interesting now I'm still in touch with some of the, picture uh, that was in a sorority. So I, I am still in touch with some of the women in my sorority. And we talk about that so much that here, we didn't even know that we were doing things that really were not expected of us, right? We would, no one would have said, oh yeah, you know, you're from this family. So you're definitely going to go to college and, and get a degree and become a professional. Nobody thought that about kids that didn't come from those backgrounds or lucrative backgrounds. And, you know, we kind of all defy the odds. And then all of a sudden they put a name on it and said, well, you're first generation. Oh, <laughs> so at some point in grad school, I was like, that's me. I was first generation, you know, yay. And who knew? But what I, you know, what I think though, is that for folks like us who, who this is our experience, it teaches us this resiliency and this grit that, you know what, we're a little bit of fighters, we're little fighters. We are fighters and that we're going to defy the odds and do these things because we've got family support or sometimes not family support. Um, but we're toughened that, you know what, this it might not be easy. And somebody might think you don't belong here, even though we do. And uh, you fight to stay. Yeah, I mean, that, that's oh. one thing. Like, that, that's one thing that our, like, our upbringing as Hispanics or first gen uh, students, like we, we see our parents and we take after them and we see them re being resilient, developing that grit and passing it on to us. And that, that's one thing that I I've taken from my mother. Like my mother used to work, you know, 16, almost 20 hour days at one point. And I go to college and someone tells me I can't do something. It's like, who are you? Like, right. no way, no yeah. way, man. You telling me gives me more motivation to do it just to prove you wrong. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tell me I can't. And that makes me say, not only can I, but I will. Mm -hmm. you know? right now. <laughs> exactly exactly and you know to me that's that's what keeps all of us moving forward right and yeah. it's hard to teach that because mm -hmm. i mean i have three children two are college graduates one's a doctor actually he's doing his residency right now one's still in college and they you know they have fighting spirit you know but they're from college educated parents so them going to college and then even going to grad school or becoming a doctor that was just like part of it. And I'm like, yeah, you don't understand. <laughs> My husband even is, uh, uh, his father owned a gravestone business and, and they, and he, again, Greece, you know, they were Greek and uh, they're second generation Greek actually. And, um, you know, they work tooth and nail. He worked three, he worked three or four jobs in order to help their kids go to college. And it was four of them. And then we look at our children and go, you got a lot of privilege, <laughs> you know, you got a lot of privilege and, and they're tough, but not as tough sometimes I'd like them to be. 
it's it's because of like the way things that our culture is shifting so you know we're providing a better life for our children or for our nephews or nieces or whatever the case and sometimes they they're just focused on the now they don't they just forget about what their parents have gone through and what their grandparents have gone through in order to provide this opportunity for them so I, I, I see my nephew. My nephew's a year and like eight months. He turns two in July. Oh. And I I want him to be better than us. I want to be able to provide him the opportunities that my brother wasn't provided or that I wasn't provided. Okay. And also develop that grit because he lives yeah. in Jersey City and you know, Jersey City is a rough neighborhood sometimes, but it, it's very diverse. Mm-hmm. And my brother is teaching him his his way, how to, how to be his own person and also to develop that grit, that resilience yeah. because it's like what we mentioned earlier. If you tell me I can't do it, I'm gonna do it. Absolutely, <laughs> and I'm gonna do it better than you. Exactly. It's like when my like my nephew comes downstairs, he, he starts touching all of my stuff, and I tell him don't touch it, and that just makes him want to touch it even more. Absolutely. <laughs> putting his fingers all over the TV, all over my <laughs> stuff, and it's like, oh no, please, please stop. <laughs> I love that. He's gonna be tough. He's gonna be good. I mm-hmm. think he'll. If he's learning from his uncle, he's gonna be good. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, his parents are, you know, he's biracial. So, you know, his mother is black and Puerto Rican and my, and his father is Puerto Rican and Ecuadorian, but they were both born here. So I already know he's about mucho animal. He's going to be a handful. He's already a handful, but he's got to come here. I think that at some point he's got to come here and become a Red Hawk. I think Absolutely. that it would be perfect. They Absolutely. I don't know what year that would be. I think I'll probably be retired at that point, but he <laughs> come here because that's what I like about this institution and the more that I'm learning is that this is an institution, a university of fighters, fighters with fighting spirits, students that are focused, the students that are, are, are so willing to reach out. Um, and I think have a sense of knowing that we're in it together. Yeah, a hundred percent. I can speak because like an undergraduate student, I feel that there's such a great diversity within the population. Even the students like you were mentioning, like your kids who have college educated parents, you know, I think that just having the role model of someone in the administration such as you, who's a first generation student and of a Hispanic background just shows what a great role model we have and kind of gives us like the spirit that like, you know, anyone can do it, that we can be there as well. We can go on to do great and get doctor degrees and become those that we see people in the world being like our parents or like those that aren't in our family yet, but that we will become. Well, I will tell you, Ariana, I, 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 when I was looking into coming to Montclair and the fact that it was a Hispanic serving institution for me was like, that's like the epitome for me, like the highlight, mm-hmm. the goal. Um, my time at LaSalle was great because I don't know if you know much about LaSalle University, but it is a very diverse population in the city of Philadelphia um, and uh, lots of fighting spirit there too. And we were looking to become a Hispanic serving institution, but just didn't have the numbers yet. And we're in, in a process of recruiting and it takes a long time to small institution. So it was going to take a little bit longer for LaSalle to do that. And uh, unfortunately not during my time, but they're on their way. But when um, this Montclair position came open and I got to look at the student body, I got to look at uh, the fact that I was a Hispanic serving institution, all of the initiatives here, all of the first gen initiatives. I love the fact that there is a diversity, not in the, only in the students, which is really important, but also in faculty staff. 
Because a lot of times you see universities that tell, well, we have diverse students, but then you look at the faculty staff and yeah, not a lot of diversity. Like, is right. that a lot? And I, I see a lot here, which is really awesome. So to me, that's the best of all worlds, right. all worlds. And I think that's why Montclair has the reputation it does. It has the outcomes that it does for students. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, so I'm still pinching myself how happy I am to be here. I'm like, I'm really here. <laughs> we're glad to have you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate we're, that so we're, much. We're, we're ecstatic to have you. And thank you. I, I came, I did my undergrad in a small private university. And when I did my graduate studies here in Montclair, the difference is night and day. Uh, I prefer to Montclair as the land of opportunity. There's so much opportunity here. There's so many activities, clubs, organizations you can get involved in. Uh, if it wasn't for my advisor in my program and my professor, Dr. Vega, I would have never had this position. And I, I come from retail, so I don't really have much, I had, didn't have much experience in higher ed. And they, they just kept giving me lifelines. They keep giving me opportunities. And I took those opportunities and thankfully I was able to land here as a grad student and I was able to land here temporarily while I find a full-time position. But Montclair, I can't say anything really bad about Montclair. Like I, I've been treated so well here and I've been given so many opportunities here. It's hard for me to find something negative to say about it. That's good. That's always what we want to hear, especially as administrators, is that we just want, so, you know, every place you go is a commitment, right? It's a commitment, not only for your four years or your five years or your two years, you know, depending on undergrad or grad, but it's a financial commitment, right? I mean, mm-hmm. whether you're, you know, taking loans or you are got aid or whatever, however you have managed to be here in undergrad or grad, it's a commitment. And to be able to say, here's all the good things about the fact that I took, made this commitment. That to me is golden, right? That is golden. The last thing I would want any student to do was to finish their undergraduate or graduate experience and walk away going, eh, it was okay. I'll be paying for it forever. And you know, it was just, eh, that's not, that's not, and it's not here. And that's what I loved reading about student reaction to this environment and the outcomes in the environment. Just amazing, amazing. And I still can't get past the fact that I can look out the window. I'm looking out the window right now, and it's all green and there's birds. And I have deer in my backyard. I'm like, my, my, I have two little dogs who are like, what are those large dogs with the fluffy tails and the antlers? I'm like, it's a deer, pal, like your city dog, a deer. And, but I can look out this window and see the skyline of New York City. Hmm. It's to me, it's like mind blow. Like, it's just, it's incredible to be so close to amazing to me, the best city in the world, but have this kind of campus where students can engage. I mean, it's just, it's like a, it's like a dream come true here. Absolutely. And that, that all falls on leadership. That speaks to the accolades and to the development of the leadership in Montclair. And now you're, you're a part of leadership too. So that kind of leads me to my next question. So you've transitioned to the university at a time of major change. So as you probably already know, Dr. Cole, she is stepping down at the end of July. You just came on as VP of student development. So what can students expect from you as a senior leadership member representing the student voice at Montclair State? 
Sure. So, you know, I knew that I obviously knew that um, President Cole was going to be retiring. She is, uh, you know, famous in the higher ed world for the work mm -hmm. that she has done here. I mean, I look, you look 20 years ago, oh, what Montclair looked like, and then what it is now in terms of its growth and reputation and outcomes. And that is really all because of her. She's just incredible. But I knew she was going to be transitioning out and um, that there's a few deans and the provosts. There's a few larger the, uh, administrative positions that are changing. But every university has a life cycle, right? It goes through one life cycle and it hits its peak and it does these great things. And then sometimes it goes down and then some other leader comes in. What's really great about Montclair is that there's no down. This is the life cycle that has only been a trajectory up. And so to me, there's going to be a new president that is going to jump on that and then continue it to the next level. It has not gone through a life cycle where there has been a, a slowdown in growth and students. It's just on the trajectory up. And so with new people come change, with change comes excitement. It will be very interesting to see what the next phase for, for Montclair is going to be. Uh, what can students expect from me? So I truly believe as a vice president for student development campus life that I am trying to bring uh, the student voice to the table. That as the university is making decisions that the, the word of student should be part of everything that we do. Sometimes decisions have to be made that maybe don't seem like they would be totally student focused. Like there's financial decisions and other things that need to happen. But my role, is to make sure that we're always thinking about how is this impacting students? How is this impacting the student experience? How is this going to um, change or effect in a positive way, hopefully a positive way, what an undergraduate student is experiencing at Montclair and then what a graduate student is experiencing at Montclair. We can't forget about our graduate students because they're integral to everything that we do too. So it is being that person to make sure or that there's a conversation happening. And, and I don't think it happens very often here, which is good, but that the word student isn't a part of the conversation that I in this role have to bring it back home to be the center of what we do is about students. How we need to talk about that. Will it impact students? How it will impact? How do we get their input? You know, what's gonna be the things that they're gonna really like about this decision? What are the things that they might struggle with? And then how do we offset those struggles? So I think students can feel uh, confident that um, I, I am here to bring that to the table. And that means I will be asking for student input. I will be out and about meeting students, certainly in COVID world, it does not make that easy, but I'm really looking forward to fall where that can happen. Um, but that I will never ever let a conversation, especially in the administration happen without thinking, this is how it is going to impact a Montclair student because I think that that's sometimes where other universities sort of get off track because they're going and then they kind of go over here, but they forget about that the central of everything we do, that nucleus right in the middle is our students. And that can't ever be forgotten. And so I think students can hopefully feel confident that I am that, I am that person that's gonna advocate for the student and the student's voice. Now, it's not always going to be that I'll win that, that 
just, you know, win that decision or conversation, or that sometimes I have to think really big picture, like, all right, right now, this group of students might not like this decision, but the long-term goal, because I, my role is to look at like the 25,000 foot view of how all of this is going to impact students long-term. It may not always be what a freshman might think, well, I don't know why she's making that decision because this, is, this isn't good. Well, I got to look at it at the broader, the broader angle. Mm -hmm. I promise it'll never, a student piece will never be forgotten in a conversation. Yeah, I mean, as a leader, it's kind of hard to juggle like the small picture and the big picture because you know, some students won't get it nope. in the short term. But if they take the time to look at it from a big picture angle, then they'll say, oh, Dr. S was right. Dr. S makes sense. And it, as a leader, it's kind of hard to juggle that because you're always going to have some pushback. You're going to have some conflict if they don't agree with your big picture views or the small picture views. Right. Absolutely. And you know what? My job is to try and help a student understand, not to try to convince them that what I'm saying is absolutely perfect or that they have to see the light and go, oh, of course, I don't expect that. But I expect and hope that I can provide perspective. Mm -hmm. I've had a lot of conversations in these last couple of weeks with students talking about COVID and COVID mitigation and how we manage it on campus and visitation and all of those things. And students, you know, are like, well, I don't like this, and I don't like this, and I don't like this, and I understand. I get it. This isn't what students signed up for this year, right? This mm -hmm. is not what any of us would want for freshmen. We wouldn't want this for seniors. We wouldn't want this for graduate students. This is not, not what we wanted. And this, there was no playbook for us to pull out and go, well, okay, well, on page 12, it tells us during a <laughs> pandemic that this is what we should do. Oh, oh. There's no book, you know, there's nothing that tells us how to do this. And so things, decisions that were made were not all perfect. But what I tried to do in meeting with students was just listen and say, well, here's the perspective. Yeah, I think that's so important. Being able, like you were saying, outreach with students. I think in administration where you feel like you know the person at the top and they're almost like, like a parent looking out for you, you know, because as much as parents make decisions that you may not like, you know that that parent loves you and wants the best for you. And so having that type of one-on-one -on -one conversation where you're able to explain your perspective, the long-term and the bigger picture, I think that's so helpful and is very um, important in this kind of stressful time, like you say, where there is, it's hard to find direction. What do we do with a pandemic? Right. It is. It's so, you know, we, I was talking to a student this morning and, uh, and he was a student, he's a great student, but we did two town halls, as you know, with students um, in the residence halls about COVID mitigation and all that. And he was a very, um, how can I say, passionate student about how he felt about things that the, the administration had decided. And I offered to meet with him and so did uh, Dean Carter. So both of us met with him today and he was excited, kind of surprised. Like, I can't believe you're really just going to meet with me to talk to me. And we were like, of course we are. You had a lot of opinions that night and we wanted to talk to you. And you know what? We had a great conversation. Doesn't mean he agreed with everything I said. I didn't agree with everything he said, but it was a really good dialogue. And part of it was that I think he didn't believe we were going to meet with him. And I've met with a number of students for like, just the fact that you're willing to meet with me and talk to me or talk to us, you know, as a group of two or three students together. I'm like, that just needs to happen. That's my job to do is not only run the division and be part of the president's council, but it's to hear, how am I supposed to lead these conversations if I don't have the voice of the student in my head? Mm. Mm -hmm. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. So um, I, I will be doing 
that as a regular part of my job, I need to hear the student perspective. Look, I'm like, you know, I, could, I hate to say I could be your mother. I probably could. Uh, or maybe your really older aunt or something like that. But I, I look at it through my lens, right? My lens of, of how old I am, 56, if you want to know, I'm 56. I have, I have been in the field for a long time. I look at through those lenses. You're looking at it in different lenses, each of you, because you're both in kind of different places in your life and your trajectories. And that's important to see it through other people's lenses, but I need to make sure that I can see it through the student lens. Absolutely. That, that's, that's essential, especially yep. for, I'm pretty sure you guys are prepping for the fall <laughs> and we've, we've been, we've been hearing the term new normal, right? Throughout yeah. the entire process <laughs> from summer of last year until now. And it's being used to describe life in fall 2021. So in your view, can you share and describe what that new normal may entail for students? I think I can give you what I, we hope it's going to be, okay? Because here's the word, that word pivot, right? Ugh, I hate that word because oh, we just said that, oh yeah, we're going to pivot and we have to pivot again. And then we're, oh, we got a plan that we got to pivot back over here, you know, and that's just the, the life cycle of a pandemic as we're all learning. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so we could pivot this summer and it'd be totally different, but here's what I think is going to happen is that, you know, you know that we went to a mandatory vaccine for students come fall. I know that's been met with some hoorays and some nays and some, you know, and that's fine. We you know, anticipated that. Um, but my hope is that with the vaccination mandate and just the fact that people are getting vaccines and all of that is going to help bring those COVID numbers down so that, that we can have interaction, we can have events on campus. Maybe it won't be a thousand person event, but maybe it's a 500 person event. That sounds good. Right now, if you invited me to a 500 person event, I'd be like, yeah, you know, there's people, this is good, you know? So I think that we're going to be able to have events. I think that we um, certainly will, the testing will look different. So my hope is that it will be more on a surveillance testing versus mandatory two to three tests a week. Um, that, you know, I know no one wants to be tested. It's not fun. It's not like it's, you know, let me see if you have a fever and you're good. And it, you know, that's not fun for anybody, but surveillance testing would be more that just randomly, we would pick a certain portion of the student population. It's your week to go, you go, you get tested. And then it may be six weeks before you have to have another test. Um, it's just all kind of random. Um, there's some conversation, not here, but nationally that if the majority of our populations are, are uh, vaccinated, could we just not wear masks when we're outside, that masks are only for inside? That's a conversation on the CDC level. Mm -hmm. That would be nice just to be able to be outside and not have to have a mask on. Um, I think visitation will look differently in the residence halls. Again, if we have a mandatory population, uh, uh, we have a mandatory population that has va vac vaccinated. Um, I just think it'll feel better. I think it'll feel more like, I hate to say normal because we haven't had normal in a long time, but it will feel much more of what I think college should feel like. I think it should feel more like what a faculty member wants to do and that's teach without masks and all that. I think that there will be another step closer to normalcy. 
Yes. And I don't know if you see the new normalcy. I think it's maybe a step toward what we consider normal, right? We go back to 2019, fall of 2019 is sort of a, that was normal life. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Hoping uh, we are taking some steps to get back that, that way. Absolutely. I mean, I kind of miss having in-person events because I coordinate <laughs> professional and professional personal development workshops with Ariana and it's it's the disconnect it's it's it's, too, it's so real at times because if yes. you have a workshop in person you're gonna have like 20 or 60 people in and almost all of them are gonna have their masks off whereas if they were in person they wouldn't be on their phones they would be focused and they would actually pay attention to what the presenter has to say I kind of miss that that's why I'm looking forward to fall 2021 being all right let's have more in-person activities more in-person events so yes. we can continue to foster that sense of community as well we're social beings, right? We're made, if we were, we're made to be with each other. Like, I mean, that's part of human nature, right? I mean, we don't, we're not made to be people on our own little islands somewhere by ourselves. And I worry, and I, I continue to worry about mental health and students who are feeling isolated or feeling like they're grieving because they're grieving their old life. They want that life back. I think adults are doing that too. Non-college age adults, we all probably didn't see family and friends that we really love and didn't see them for a while because of not having vaccines. And I just think that there's this social craving for interaction, for peer interaction um, that it, I think is really strong with our students. And I just can't wait for us to get back to that. And I feel like, you know, fingers and toes crossed, I feel like fall's gonna be a huge step forward to get closer to that. I think it will still have some nuances. Again, like with surveillance testing, with masks inside, at least till January. I mean, I think that will still be, but if some of the other things can be back to normal, like meetings and events, and you know, I, that's, I think that will make the world a difference. Right. Absolutely. I mean, I saw my colleague, I think it was a couple of weeks ago. She, she popped up out of nowhere and I haven't seen her in like six months. So like the first thing I did was give her a big hug. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe it too. <laughs> People are so funny too, because I'm a hugger. I've always, you know, just, I love to hug. And um, when the COVID thing started and it was no hugging, right? No, you couldn't go near anybody. I, I remember my husband saying, you know, you can't hug anybody. And I was like, oh, and he goes, I don't hug anybody. You can't do that. Okay, I know. And it was so hard because I would automatically go and then, you know, kind of pull in and do the elbow thing. But the elbow thing doesn't work or the hand, you know, the, the, <laughs> the it's not the, 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 the same. I'm sorry. This elbow thing. I'm like, you know, it's just not working. Yeah. <laughs> for, for so me. I can't, I can't wait to go be able to. And I recently had a colleague who came to us to just to welcome me and say hi. And she came in and she was like, are you vaccinated? I'm like, I am. I'm very lucky. I am fully vaccinated. She goes, I am too. Can we hug? And I was like, yes, please. <laughs> Did a masked hug. And it was like, oh my gosh, people, this yeah. is good. I can't wait for this. So that's when the end, the endomorphins start coming out. Like, yes, yes, absolutely. yes. The happiness. Absolutely. So I'm hugging a lot of, lot of people in the fall. If we're able to do that, I can't wait. Absolutely. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So uh, if, you know, as you know, like the, the leadership arm of the Center for Leadership and Engagement, our program is designed to foster leadership in many ways, either through attending these personal professional workshops, collaborating with other departments, or even with this podcast. So our leadership is something that's personal and it continues to evolve. So like with that said, how have you changed your leadership style over the years? Um, so I, I, I do think leadership is 
always evolving for, for people as they're figuring out what their leadership style is. And, you know, I remember when I first started supervising professionals, you know, a long time ago, I was in residence life at the time. And, you know, I had done all of these leadership tests, you know, I did the Myers-Briggs and I did the, the strengths quest and I did, you know, all these things to figure out what kind of leader I was. And it was very good. I mean, it gives you a lot of good foundational information. I tried to prescribe, like, well, I need to be doing things this way because I am this Myers-Briggs type or I'm this strength quest type or whatever else. And what I found over time is that it's a little more gray than that, that you have to figure out what works best for you. And I, I describe myself as a relational manager um, uh, and leader. And what I mean by that is it's about the relationships with the people that you oversee uh, uh, the people you work with. Um, I, I subscribe to compassionate leadership. I think you have to care for the people that you lead. Um, I think that you need to have them feel like family. One of the things that I've always strived for is that for like my leadership team or student leaders that I work with closely is that we feel like family. And with being family and you have families that, you know, sometimes there's a push pull and there's a little tug but at the end of the day they're your family and you love them and you care about them and you want to do things together because you care about that unit and so for me maybe it's because I'm getting older and I'm getting like mushy um, <laughs> it is about the compassionate leadership it, it to me is far better than anything that is like the authoritative piece and I have to I certainly have to make very difficult decisions about students. I have to make very difficult decisions about money and, and personnel, but the compassionate part can't be out of that picture. Like, and, and having your heart in some, you can, I, my head is generally making decisions, but my heart is there too. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can separate both. And I think that when I was younger, I thought you know, all the decision-making has to come from here and my heart shouldn't be involved. Cause I got to make, you know, this decision. And as I've gotten older, I've said, no, 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 no. They both can be involved. My head and my heart can be involved. And there can be this compassion as making decisions and moving forward because I want people to believe in me and I want to be able to believe in them. And that, that feeling of trust and family for me is what I strive for in the teams that I lead. And that's worked for me. And I'm really glad. And I'm like, I'm glad I took all those leadership tests and I read books on leadership and I always pull a little piece of things here and there, but ultimately it has to be who I am and what's important for my relationships with others. And um, that love and care is a, is a part of it. it, has to be for me. The compassion, I think that's that's key as well. Um, you can, uh, Ariana could certainly attest to it. Like some, I try to be very personable with my student workers. I do try to get to know them on a personal level because I don't want it to just be me giving her tasks to do. And then she does it like, no, like I do want to see how she's doing. How's how her classes? How's, yeah. how's, st how's stuff outside of school? Everything. Okay. Mm -hmm. And you know, Ariana and I, we, you know, we started off on the wrong foot when we first met, but we just kept interacting with each other, talking to each other, getting to know each other and to understand perspectives. And you know, she laughs because I, I tell the story to like almost every administrator I talk to because it, it's it's about changing your style. Like you don't want to come, you don't want to start off on the wrong foot and you want to be compassionate and you want to be 
uh, empathetic because empathy is one thing that a lot of people are lacking, especially now with the whole COVID uh, era that we're in right now. And now we're going to go to fall 2021 where all of us are going to be open, where we're going to be more or less in person. And the compassion, you do need that communication aspect because people have been isolated, as you mentioned, and some of them might not have any social skills. They might, they might have social skills talking on the internet, but when it comes to in person, it, it's, it's kind of hard to translate some of that. So the compassion piece is very important. I do agree with you on that. I love that part. And I, the first thing that I asked Ariana today, hey, how you been? <laughs> it's been a while. Because <laughs> I only see her you know, two times a week, maybe even three on a rare occasion. But compassion, getting to know and speaking with your student workers because we're, we're a family. Yeah, we are. And we're a team. And we're, we're here to elevate each other. We're here to help each other get better. And that's one thing that I do love about your leadership style, the compassion piece. Yeah, 100%. I can, yeah, attribute to that. Um, I feel like definitely starting off when Joseph was starting, I had a similar view as you, kind of like, you know, separate head and heart, very much like I'm in a professional setting, I need to be professional. When he would approach me and just be like, hey, how was your day? Or ask me and try and get to know me. It was kind of off-putting almost for myself. And I was like, why, why do you want all this information, you know? But at least he took the time to be like, hey, if you don't want to say anything, it's cool. Like, you don't have to tell me. And so that kind of like was made it possible for me to feel more comfortable to open up. And for those days that I needed to take the first 15 minutes to complain about whatever was going on in my life, it made that kind of environment that it was like, okay, we can do this so that we can be more productive at work as well. Absolutely. I encourage people to talk about home and families and, you know, talk about what they did over the weekend. And yeah. And to me, that's how you get to know people. That's, that's authentic mm-hmm. that I, and I have, I have many friends that, you know, work is work, home life is home. Like everything's compartmentalized. They don't enter. And I've never lived in that world, really all of my <laughs> worlds, especially when you're in student development, student affairs, it all gets, so, you know, having conversations about children or spouse or, you know, things that you love to do or what you did on the weekend or how you're feeling or a loss to me is all part of building a team because all that is about trust. Yeah. And trust exactly. is a huge piece to me of the compassionate leadership piece because you have to trust. You have to trust each other, you have to trust in your leadership. And the leadership has to trust the folks that are on the leadership team. Mm. And sometimes that doesn't happen. So the leader expects you to trust them, but then the leader doesn't trust the folks that work with them. It doesn't work like that. It's a two-way street. Mm-hmm. And you gotta be, it's, you feel more empowered when you can trust the person that's leading you and vice versa, right? You, you trust the person that's leading you and I wanna trust the people that work with me. And so together that two-way street makes us much better at what we do right. and much better for our students in this case. Now, our, our last VP, I'm not sure if you've heard of her, uh, Dr. Pennington. I have, <laughs> I, I, I might have might have heard about her once or twice, once or twice. I might have met her, maybe. <laughs> so our, our last VP, Dr. Pennington, she was here for over 20 years. Yeah. So like at the end of your journey here at Montclair State, what would you want your lasting legacy to be? Lasting legacy. Um, that so for students, I would want them to know that that I was an advocate for them. Um, that I would like the team to know that uh, the the student development team that I was also an advocate for them, in the roles that they play. 
Um, I certainly would like to leave Montclair in a better place than I found it. And I found it in a pretty incredible spot. So I all work to do because um, Dr. Pennington left big shoes to fill and she's iconic in the field of student affairs. So I knew of her and hope someday I'd be like her, which I told her, she was like, oh, don't say that. I was like, it's true. Um, but I hope that I can at least leave my own shoes and they might look different than Dr. Pennington's, but they, but that they will be good shoes and that someone coming in next after me will be like, okay, I'm, 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 we're in a good place and that they'll then create their own shoes. So that's, that's the big picture. I want people, and I would want people to miss me. I don't want, if I ever leave, which I don't want to leave anytime soon, but I don't, I don't want to be that person that leaves and everybody goes, thank God they left. <laughs> I don't ever want to be that person. I don't think anyone ever wants to be that person. No, no. I think some people care more than others about, eh, so they didn't like me. I'm like, oh, I don't know. Uh, so I hope that when I, you know, if and when I leave at some point later in my career, that people will go, I'm glad I worked with her. And I was glad she was here for our students. Mm. Yeah, I feel, sometimes I feel that I, I want my coworkers to feel the same way if and when yeah. I leave. Yeah. Oh, you know, I'm going to miss Joseph. Man, he has some really good stories. He was really, he was really fun to work with. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I've always told people that I've worked with, like, if it gets to a point where people are like, she needs to go, that someone needs to pull me to the side and tell me that. Like, okay, <laughs> everything she needs to go. Now, I, no one's ever told me that. So I'm hoping that that never happened. And nobody was like, thank God she went, she, she really needs to leave. But I, I don't ever want to be somewhere where I'm not uh, in, being impactful and effective. Mm -hmm. And I've been very blessed that I have not had that experience yet. And I'm, uh, I think I'll be here a long time, hopefully knocking on wood, that I'll be here a long time and that people will say she gave hundred percent of herself to Montclair. Awesome. Well, well said, Dr. S. So um, I do want to transition it to this new piece that I'm doing for the podcast. It's called This or That. So oh. I'm going to present you know, two, two, uh, two scenarios, well, this okay. or that, and, and you get to choose. <laughs> oh, okay. So, uh, I know you were in uh, LaSalle in Philadelphia, right? Yes. So um, Pat or Geno's? Oh, uh, Geno's. Okay. I mean, I haven't been there in a while. My friend actually called me this morning. He's like, you want to go to Philly tomorrow? And I'm like, if we're getting Geno's, sure. <laughs> <laughs> good choice. <laughs> Geno's is pretty good. I, they're all good. Things. I mean, yeah. you know, it's all, it's all good. Yeah, they're all, they're all good. But like sometimes, like I have a friend, he's a very picky eater. So like he doesn't like Patagino's. He goes somewhere else in Philly. Yeah. Uh, I forgot the name of it. It was in a corner and it had two floors. Mm. I forgot the name of it. My husband could tell you because I think he tried all of the cheesesteaks everywhere in Philadelphia and he has a ranked list. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm like, I like cheesesteak, but not that much. So I'm like, Okay, but he's like, no, 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 this part, yeah. So when you meet him someday, you can ask him. Nice. <laughs> so, uh, coffee or tea? Oh, coffee. coffee. I am a coffee queen. <laughs> coffee. Yeah. My life. So how do you like so. your coffee? 
Okay, so uh, regular, like just having coffee in the morning, black, like coffee. I just want coffee. But every day in the afternoon, if I have the opportunity, I like a little cappuccino. cappuccino <laughs> with skin milk and maybe just a little like, you know, chocolate on top, maybe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I drink a lot of coffee. Nice. Excellent choice. I I'm sure you're taking advantage of the Panera Bread downstairs. <laughs> I will see. I got all like crazy because I was like, where's Starbucks? Because at LaSalle, it was right across from my office. So I ordered my cappuccino or latte every day. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? <laughs> then I found that Panera, I could order my cappuccino on my phone and go pick it up. And I am taking advantage of that daily. Did you know that uh, <laughs> Panera has a subscription-based coffee service? I did not know that. So it's $8.99 per month, per month. Unlimited coffee. What? Mm -hmm. And I really? believe as well. Yes. And it's the first, they give you the first three months for free. Wow. So, you know, it, I would recommend getting that. I'm going to say I'll be right on you, that. Look so. into it. Just go to College Hall, go to the Panera every morning, get your coffee. And then later in the afternoon, get your another cup of coffee. I love it. I will definitely look into that. So that made me very happy that I could run downstairs and pick up my pick up my afternoon coffee because yep. right about two o'clock, it's like, okay, time for my next uh, round of caffeine, but <laughs> coffee. Good, good thing they shifted the hours because it was from seven to three before. Now it's eight to four. Thanks. So, yeah, so that wouldn't have worked for me. I need a little longer. longer. <laughs> right? Give me six to four, six to five. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. <laughs> so, uh, would you rather watch a movie at home or a movie in the theater? Ooh, um, uh, theater. Theater. I I like the whole thing, the popcorn now with the seats that go out and I haven't been to a movie in a theater obviously since COVID hit. So mm -hmm. I can't wait till that all and it's all starting again. I'm excited about that. I saw the trailer for the new Fast and Furious movie oh, and it yeah. looked really nice. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll just brave going to the theater just to watch that movie because I'm a big movie guy. I used to watch movies like every Friday for like the past four years until COVID hit. So the last movie I saw in theaters was probably Tenet. Oh, and everything else I've been watching on, on the streaming services. So like, I can't wait for, to go back to the movie theater. Cause at one point I had a movie subscription and I would be able to watch movies in IMAX, Dolby digital, anytime I want. I did I that too in Philadelphia before COVID I had a, for a movie uh, subscription and it was great. Oh my God. I had a really, uh, really great, actually, she was the head of public safety at LaSalle and she was a movie buff too. My husband is like, eh, on movies. I force him, but she's a big moviegoer. So we would go with our subscription because we both could get in. And my daughter is who's in Brooklyn right now, um, mm -hmm. had also had the subscription. So it was great. I love that. I yeah. love that. I, you know, I was seeing at least a movie a week, which was awesome. Oh, I, I kind of miss those days now. <laughs> like, I, go I miss those days. I can't wait. So yeah. movie in a theater for sure. Oh, absolutely. So uh, singing or dancing? Ooh, dancing. I like to sing. I'm not a great singer. I'm an okay singer, but I love to dance. Love to dance. Nice. And last one, mountains or beaches? Oh, beaches all <laughs> day, all day, all day. Mountains are nice. You know, I'll hike every once in a while, but I am a beach girl. Through and through. <laughs> through and through since I was a little kid to now just give me a beach I don't care where the beach is just give me a beach give me a chair give me a book mm. give me fun I'm a happy happy human uh, I, I know I said that was the last one but I actually have one more okay so, summer or winter 
Oh my gosh, summer all day. <laughs> so 25 years in Rochester, New York. Yeah. Where yeah. snowed nearly sometimes a foot a day. You know, no, not, I mean, winter clothes are kind of nice, like sweaters and things like that. But then the amount of layers that you had to put on to go anywhere um, was ridiculous. And so, and I don't like to be cold. So summer all day. Nice. You know, I'm a winter guy, but I do like beaches. Oh, well, <laughs> beach, you got the breeze and all of that. And yeah, no, I, I get it. I, my husband is a winter guy. Total, but he loves the beach too, but he is a total winter guy. He's like, I don't want to sweat all the time. I'm like, I appreciate that, but there is nothing happier for me or more Zen than be sitting on a beach. Absolutely. With the sun and just oh. enjoying nature as intended. Absolutely. And that's the kind of nature I I'm good with, you know, cre creepy crawlies in the woods. And, you know, I camped a few times in my life and I was a Girl Scout leader and I was a Girl Scout at one point and I had to go to the mandatory camping outings and no, thank you. <laughs> no, I want a shower. I want my hotel room. I want, in fact, embarrassingly, I, I, I went on a camping trip in college um, with a guy I really liked and I thought he was going to take me camping and I was like, this is great. And so I packed my little bag and I show up and I've got a blow dryer curling iron and all my makeup and he's just looking at my bag and he goes why do you have all that packed I'm like because isn't there like a little place where there's like a bathroom and all that and he's like no we're hiking and gonna go in a lean-to and I was like a lean to what <laughs> and, uh, yeah yeah that went over real big so two days out in nature and I'm we're talking no bathrooms no nothing and so that was the end of that relationship <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I can't do this. Like, where's the, there's no running water. Yeah. Like, where do I go to the bathroom? How do I blow dry my hair? Oh, you don't? Okay, no. Yeah. <laughs> that relationship right there, I was done. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, Dr. S, uh, where, where, where can we visit you? Where's your office located? For so all the students that are in, listening. Yes, absolutely. So my office is in College Hall in uh, 349. That is, this says Vice President of Student Development and Campus Life. It's a suite. I'm in here with uh, Dean Carter and Melissa Gennati and Virginia and Sonia. And we're right across, this, across the road from, uh, right across the way from the Dean of Students Office and one floor above Dr. Cole's office. So we have a good crowd oh, over nice. here. Well, we're, we're right down the hall. <laughs> 318. <laughs> Yay. Oh, that's awesome. We'll, that's we'll have, awesome. Wave we'll, to you in the hallway. Yeah, we'll, we'll have to we'll have to pass by and wave hi. Next yes, week. absolutely. But please come see me. Our students can also email me. I'm easy to find. SuflarisD at Montclair.edu. The only one that's SuflarisD. Not hard to find. And a student wants to meet on Zoom, let's say, because they are more comfortable with that. I am more than willing to do that at any point. Awesome. Well, uh, thank you so much, Dr. S. Really appreciate you coming on. And I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to answer all these questions regarding leadership and to discuss this with us, because it, it really is a way for us and for the student's body and for Montclair State to get to know you on a more personal level and for us to get to know you on a more personal level. Well, thank you. This is enjoyable. I really appreciated talking to you both. And uh, I hope that I will see you soon. This would be good to see you in person. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you get a proper introduction in person. Maybe do the hug. You know? <laughs> Maybe do the hug, right. <laughs> yeah, thank you so thank much. Thank you both. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate thank it. You. No problem. All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you. You too. Take care. You too.
Welcome back to another episode of the Leadership Podcast, brought to you by the Center for Leadership and Engagement. I'm Joseph Perez, Coordinator of Leadership and Development, and I hope all of you are doing well. It's gonna be May, end of the semester. I hope everyone's doing well and getting ready for the festivities ahead. Today's episode is going to focus on a very special guest of ours that has decided to come onto the show. You may know her as our Vice President of Student Development and Campus Life. Her name is Dr. Don Mezzasuflaris. She's coming onto the show and we're going to talk about a bunch of different things regarding leadership, grit, resilience, and more. Stay tuned for that and a couple of other surprise after the record scratch. Stay tuned.